Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. Uh, have you heard of these uh, movies about superheroes? I think they're from the Mar- Marvel. Marvel? Yeah. No, that doesn't sound familiar to me. No. You know what? They're pretty good. I think people yeah. would like them. So uh, okay. if you haven't seen them, go take a look. They're right. pretty, pretty fun. Oh, so this is a new company, new organization. I mean, I guess so. I, hmm. I think they're on one of the streaming services. I don't remember which, but uh, strange. Yeah. yeah, no, never, yeah. never heard of, uh, never heard of such a thing. Well, you know, just trying to spread uh, the word to okay. so as many people as possible can find out. <laughs> All right. Uh, so a niche movie style, uh, Scott has found here. Uh, so very popular, apparently, with uh, these cult fans or these cult classics. I guess. They must be, yeah. They must yeah. be. But you know what? Uh, pretty entertaining. All right. Uh, you know what else is entertaining, Scott? We got to interact with the the wonderful folks out there. Uh, whenever we have done live shows in the past during the events, uh, I've always enjoyed the opportunity to hear from the people uh, about what's on mm-hmm. their minds. Uh, you know, a lot of the times we're talking about what's on our minds, but it's always fun to uh, get a chance to get some questions in. So we thought in the midst of the summer, let's do a, a bit of a summer mailbag. So we put it the call for questions on social media, got a bunch here and uh, we're just going to run through them and, and see what was on everybody's mind as we uh, await a new season in the world of curling. Uh, so Scott, are you excited for this? I haven't told you any of these questions yet. Uh, maybe you looked at them on social media. I don't know, but uh, are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited, Sean. Uh, Any time that we don't have to think of our own idea, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, so let's get right into it. Uh, These are in no particular order other than the order that I happen to write them down in. Uh, So I was going through them all. So let's start with Ryan Olson. And this is following up on what we talked about in our episode about the new TSN booth, what it'll look like as we record this, no announcement has been made as to who will be coming in. And Scott Ryan Olson has asked, how should TSN decide on the new broadcaster? Should it be a masked singer thing, some other potential reality show? Uh, But how do you think TSN should decide? We talked about who we thought could be good. Mm -hmm. Maybe how should they decide? What's the, what would be the most entertaining way for TSN to decide? Well, so the most realistic way that I, th- I think we talked about a little bit on our show last week was how they could bring in, you know, a person for one event at a time mm-hmm. uh, and try to test out a few people. Not the most exciting way to do it, Sean. The most <laughs> exciting way to do it is WWE style battle royale. It, what, what's the one? Is it Hell in a Cell? No. What's the one where the, the players, the people all keep coming in one at a time? Yeah, the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble. Yeah. 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 I think that would be the best way to determine. All right. Uh, who should be 30, 30 contenders. They come in every 90 seconds or two minutes. It's great. Yeah. Best match of the year. Oh, no. Oh, here comes uh, Heather Nedwin. Oh, no way. <laughs> and then there's always surprise returns. Like Linda Moore comes out of nowhere, <laughs> like the number 30 <laughs> slot. Like, oh, great. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that would be fun. I, I you know, because I was thinking when Ryan sent this in, I was thinking like, yeah, what reality type shows would be fun to run for who could be in the curling booth? I didn't think of professional wrestling because, yeah, the Royal Rumble uh, would be a, a good one. And just sort of coincidentally, last night I watched the OSW episode with the 1994 Royal Rumble where Owen Hart kicked Bret Hart's leg out of his leg famously. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh it's always a good time uh, when the Royal Rumble comes around. Uh, but I don't know. W- would there be a, a potential reality show that would be a good fit for picking a broadcaster? Like I know Survivor, Big Brother are like those are social strategic games. But would a American Idol where you just <laughs> a style where you just give them a, a clip and they have to call it uh, or I, something like I have no idea. Yeah. Hasn't there been a, sort of a, a reality show for golf announcing before or Ooh. some sort of broadcaster version of America's Next Top Model or Top right. Chef, whatever you want to say, right? One of these sure. competition shows could be uh, could be pretty good where they get veteran broadcasters that come in and they maybe coach them up a bit. Uh, if you mm-hmm. want to go the voice style, everybody like Vic's got his team. <laughs> uh russ has his own team you know that kind of thing that yeah. uh, could be fun i think that would be interesting and and you know it could they could make it for web only as a way to yeah. drive people to their uh digital content could be fun could be fun <laughs> so thank you for that question ryan all right let's move on scott uh, to matt hams and i apologize if i'm pronouncing that right it could be hamas he just asked, why USA Curling? Why? <laughs> Scott, <laughs> why USA Curling? And uh, hopefully between the time that we're recording this and the time we're releasing it, we've actually released our episode about the situation that we have reached out to GNCC and USA Curling. So hopefully we have released an episode for a full answer on this. But as we sit here right now, Scott, can you answer the question of why? Yeah, I can. It's gold medals, baby. That's uh, the business that USA Curling is in, is going to the Olympics and winning medals, uh, nothing else. And growing the game, while important, you know, nominally, I'd say to them, yep. the, they're, the people who work there are judged based on uh, high-level results. So mm-hmm. that's, that's my answer. What's yours, Sean? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, it doesn't, make any, it doesn't really make any sense to me, uh, because I, because they can, I don't know. Uh, hopefully that we've, uh, by the time, again, by the time this goes out, we've gotten more answers, but as we sit here and are talking today, I, I don't know why, uh, I just, you know, I don't know why. So just is, it's right? a great, a great mysteries in life. You know, uh, where did we come from? Why are we here? Why did this happen? Why did USA Curling kick out GNCC? The great unknowable uh, things in this world. Uh, so the philosophers yeah, will be pondering it for <laughs> yeah. ages and ages and ages. Yeah. So, uh, so thanks, Matt. Actually, that embassy girl on Twitter also asked us to talk about GNCC. So hopefully we have uh, fully uh, dealt with that issue. So those are a couple that came in about that issue. Uh, this one wasn't so much a question, I don't think, uh, but James... Twine Time, great Twine Time blog and podcast, asked if we would talk about the For the Kids auction for Kids Upfront Calgary. And this is going on to, of course, support that wonderful organization out there in Calgary. 
It is at 32, the digits, so 32auctions.com, and you can see what they got going on out there. If, of course, this is being released after the auction is over, you can just support for the kids, Calgary, uh, or excuse me, kids up front, Calgary, a wonderful organization. Uh, James is uh, very involved there, is, is certainly done a lot of fundraising for that organization, and uh, once or twice we've been happy to actively participate. I think we did a curling podcasters pool for some event. Uh, I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, it's, it's certainly mm-hmm. worthwhile initiative. So if the auction is still going on, as I said, 32 auctions.com. Yeah. And uh, Sean, I've used 32 auctions to uh, bid on something in an auction. Great website, easy to use. So uh, lots of cool stuff there. Follow twine time on Twitter. Uh, lots of cool jerseys, curling memorabilia, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, pretty sweet. All right, let's uh, move on, Scott. Here's a question from Shelly. She asked if we would do an episode that was similar to the one we did a while back where we looked at the greatest Canadian junior fields based off of future results. She asked if we would do an episode like that, but for the World Junior Championship, which we will in the future. We are going to uh, run through those fields uh, probably from the early 90s, early mid-90s through until about 10 years ago. And we'll see which of those fields was the strongest based off future results. But mm-hmm. uh, So I'm going to adjust Shelly's question a little bit and just say, Scott, between those 20 years, what year, what era do you think would have the most success? Like, who, like going into it, what do you think is the strongest era of world junior curling? So maybe I'm biased based on the banners that we see hanging in the Ottawa Curling Club, but I, I would say the late 90s might end up being the strongest given that the, the players that would have played then are in their 40s now. And and so we might sort of be biased towards the players that have done well in the most recent era, right? But we'll go back and we'll look at the stats and uh, I'll, I'll assign some sort of mathematical values to to you know different results uh world championships european championships uh that kind of thing to see if we can get something that's sort of fair and equitable uh, yeah. for uh, examining results yeah I-, I would suggest that the year kevin cooey i know i could see did he win the i know he lost in rather devastating fashion uh once did he win one let me look it up real quick. This is uh, right. live radio. Ain't nothing. There like you go. It. If if he ha- if he did win one at one point, I would suggest that the year he won or or, or won Canada, I should say, not necessarily won a World Junior, but won uh, Canada and participated. That would be a very strong year. I would uh, guess that uh, Nicholas Adine's fields will probably do particularly well uh, when stacking up for future results. Uh, Eve Muirhead as well would be another one. Uh, Anna Hasselberg has played in the World Juniors. Uh, the thing is that so many of those international teams that we know now have played in World Juniors. So anytime that Anna Hasselberg, Nicodine, or Sylvana Tiranzoni slash Elena Pats were there, those are going to do very well in, in trying to rank based off future performance. Yeah, Sean, uh, no, he didn't win. It was uh, in 1994, that famous game that you talked about where they lost on a burnt rock controversy. Yes. Uh, I don't think it was controversial. And, I think it was pretty clear. It was a burnt oh, it rock. Says, uh, amidst a controversy involving a burnt rock. 
Okay. Uh, the following year, he moved to Alberta for school, made the finals of the Alberta Juniors, but lost. Never, so. never looked back. There you go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would say he's had a pretty good career. I don't, I don't think that game has held him back, Scott. I wouldn't, wouldn't say so. And uh, <laughs> he lost it to uh, Colin Davison, who also doesn't have a Wikipedia page. So there you go. Career highlight for Colin Davison. Yeah, good for him. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a Canadian champion at any level. No, that's right. No. All right, so uh, look, keep, keep an eye out. We'll do that, uh, a full version of this uh, in a future episode. Uh, that's a, a really good idea. So thank you, Shelly, for that one. Scott, let's move on. Next question. This is from Caitlin. She wants to know your favorite game or games, both as a player and as a viewer. Uh, favorite games of curling? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were asking, like, do I like Euchre no. or... No. <laughs> yeah, okay. no. Fav- favorite curling, a game that you've ever played in and that you've ever watched. Okay. I, the My favorite one I've ever played in was probably in Vancouver uh, circa 2005, maybe 2006. I'm, I'm not sure exactly when. But uh, the Chinese women's team was in a bond spiel that we played in at the Vancouver curling club. It was a skin spawn spiel. And I forget the name because that was a long time ago <laughs> and we played against them and it was like Bing Yu Wang's team. Yeah. Before they got, good. It, before they blew up on the world scale and we were like, Oh, these uh, small women, uh, maybe we have a chance. <laughs> no, we had no chance. It was <laughs> like, it was a, I, I don't think you quit on skins, right? Because, it's just yeah, a skin. No, you keep, yeah, you got to keep going. But if we had been scoring points uh, in that game, it would have not been pretty and probably <laughs> would have been a, a four-end and, and shake situation. But uh, it was fun to play in that kind of a, a game against a team that you see that they're so, so skilled and you'd not heard of them before. Uh, and then to see what they did afterwards sort of makes me reflect back and uh, and that one's pretty good. Also, nice. uh, the game we we beat Sarah Wark's team when they came back from uh, from provincials <laughs> in the Victoria Super League, and she was really mad because <laughs> we were not as good as her. <laughs> so uh, that was pretty fun too. All right, how about you? So for me, it's probably a game in the Rideau Curling Club Club Championship. I, I haven't played as as at a, at high as at as high a level as you have. Uh, in terms of some of the appoint, uh, opponents that you've played against. But for me, probably club championship at the Rideau Curling Club, I was skipping. It was a skip till you lose rotational thing. And mm. it was, uh, I believe, the second round of the club championship too. and uh, or, or maybe, but whatever it was, we were playing a, a team that should have beat us and they knew they should have beat us. And the skip was kind of a jerk. I wasn't the biggest fan of him. And we won the game. I didn't, and I didn't play great either. Uh, but we, which made it even sweeter. And we won on a steal. I, I made the shot when I needed to at the end of the game, and then he missed his last one. Uh, or it was really hard because because we had played the last end really well, and he was so mad that we had beat him. And uh, he, I've said this on, I think I've said this on the show before. I, he never talked to us ever again. And uh, that was the real victory. Uh, in that one. So <laughs> I think, I think that one, there are a couple other that kind of stand out to me where uh, like nights where I really had it dialed in 
or even uh, there was a, a Valentine's Day bond spiel a couple of years ago where I was playing in and uh, I, I, we got there. Our first game was at nine or something and we didn't have a lineup. And I just said, I don't really feel like sweeping this early. So if nobody cares, I'll just skip the first game. And then we won and they let me skip the whole event. And like in one of the games, they had the hammer. They were sitting like four and I had to come like back four foot to try to cut them off. I made it with beautiful sweeping somehow got a steal and and then like the last shot of the event i could have drawn for the tie but instead i tried like a double angle run back uh to try to win and it made it good enough to tie we didn't get the roll far enough for the second uh-huh. point but like those sorts of things stand out to me as as fun ones uh and i've i've always liked uh, on the rare occasions where we do get to play or where i've gotten to play against top level players so uh like yeah. at the 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 spiel at the ottawa in the spring where we get to play against uh, or we have played against jen hannah uh, jen hannah yeah where we because they're they're fun that seems a lot of fun to play against uh so like those sorts of things but like the one would probably be like in terms of the most glorious moment i would be that uh, club championship game or just really whenever we get to play with our family like when our parents come yeah those are a lot of fun i've had fun in pittsburgh and knoxville when we've played uh, I've also had the opportunity to do glow curling, which I mm. would imagine has been sued out of existence as an idea because it was very dangerous. But uh, like that kind of <laughs> stuff is always good. But, uh, so that, that's me yeah. in terms of participating. What about as a viewer? And this could be on so, TV or in person. Yeah, so I've got two. I've got one for on TV and one for in person. And on TV, I'm going to say the 2010 Scotty's final uh yeah. with that pei magical run sean you and i were in the same uh room for this we were watching we were. on tv in my apartment in montreal my tiny apartment because the super bowl was about to come on right after it uh, yeah. i always liked that like scotty's final in the afternoon and then super bowl yeah. at night uh because always, it was an olympic always year fun. right it worked out and, right worked yeah that's because right because of that right yeah yeah because uh, it was the scotty's was much earlier due to the olympics so yeah, that was a great one. And then in person, obviously, it's the 2010 Vancouver men's final with yeah. uh, Canada winning. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. So, yeah, yeah. that was pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. For me, I, I, my initial response would be Jennifer Jones, Kathy Overton Clapham for the TV game uh, that mm-hmm. I had the most fun watching. But I also might have to throw in and maybe this is recency bias. We'll see how I feel in five years if I remember it. But Carrie Anderson, Jennifer Jones, round robin of the trials this year, uh, just for the absurdity of it. Uh, so Pretty those bonkers. ones really stand out to me. In person, I think it has to be the final draw of the 2016 Continental Cup. I think it was 16, mm-hmm. where you have the uh, just remarkable uh, scenario of Kevin Cooey has a shot to win, just misses it. And as the stones are coming to rest, John Morris is in the hack uh, to throw the winning shot on the other sheet. And that's as loud as I've ever heard a curling crowd. And, you know, we were there in 2017 for the Cooey draw to go to the Olympics. But that 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 place erupted (laughs) the Orleans Arena. So that that probably is, is it for me in terms of in person. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And Sean, I don't know if I said it, the 2010 Scotty's final, it, it was the PEI year that uh, they'd gone on their magical run and yeah. uh, lost in an extra end to Jennifer Jones with, uh, it was Kathy O'Rourke skipping with Aaron Carmody and Jerry Lynn Ramsey uh, yeah. in the back, playing the back end there. A fun that team. Was, uh, that was a really fun, fun team. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, so thanks for that, Caitlin. Scott, let's move on. Steve Manfred wrote and asked, why don't the Grand Slams ever do events in Winnipeg? I think this might be slightly personal for Steve. I believe he lives relatively close uh, to Winnipeg across the border there. So uh, it'd be easy for him to get to Winnipeg if he wanted to go to an event. But Scott, why don't the slams go to some of these bigger cities, do you think? Well, I, I have to imagine they've got their premier event in Toronto. So that's sort of their big city event. And they want to make the other ones in places where people are more likely to come out. Now, I would think, though, that Winnipeg would be a place where, you know, the fans would come out. We've seen events in Portage being pretty good. That's not too far from Winnipeg. Uh, Brandon has had big events. Uh, Winnipeg obviously has hosted big events before. But maybe it's a case of the Slams wanting to go to the smaller centers to keep their costs down and to stay in an arena that's appropriately sized for a slam because playing in in the jets arena there wouldn't be a good idea for for a grand slam yeah i think that's really it it's and i don't know the arena landscape of winnipeg uh, nearly well enough but i i do think uh, a lot of it is arena size that they like being in the smaller arenas because it creates a more intimate environment you can fill it and it's better to have fewer people in a smaller space than more people in a, a bigger space. Like, or, or I, I guess, or like, yeah, yeah you want a hundred percent capacity of a smaller place than 40% capacity of a bigger place. Even if that 40% is more people uh, overall. Yeah. Right. So I think that's part of it. Uh, you know, you can set up the Pinty's lounge more easier in of the arenas they pick. Cause there's no stands on the ends usually. Uh, and they like that setup. Uh, so for all those reasons, uh, I, I think they, they really do like those smaller venues. And by going to the smaller communities, for as much as maybe there are things that we have quibbled with the Grand Slam about, I do think there's a genuine interest in the grassroots with the the slams, that they do run little clinic type things where they have junior curls curlers come out uh, on the ice with the players uh, on the weekend once the playoffs start. Uh, they reach out to local curlers like th th that is part of it. And uh, doing that in the smaller communities, uh, I think that really lends itself well to what they're trying to do. So uh, that's probably mm -hmm. it. And uh, yeah, you have the Toronto event and then in some of the smaller communities that don't typically get events too. And, you know, they, when they go in most places, that's the biggest thing in the sports calendar for the year for that community. So you can rally a lot of support. You can get volunteers. You can get a lot of interest. Yeah, and I think you want to put the event in sort of the best arena in the city. Yeah. Because so in Victoria, where I lived in 2014, I think, they had a Grand Slam event out there. It was the Elite 10. And it wasn't yeah. at the, the Save on Foods arena, which is sort of the big one where the Worlds had been uh, right. before. It was, it was at a smaller arena. Uh, in Langford, so farther away from town, and I don't think the attendance was that per like that strong for that event. So being able to go to the arena where the junior hockey team plays is is likely the the sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, you want to be at the bigger the or, like yeah. If you're in Winnipeg and it's at a smaller arena it comes across as like a second tier type of event, which exactly. of course they don't yeah, want. That's what I mean. And, and, and it, but it works in Toronto, I think, because 
there's so many things going on in Toronto. Like it doesn't come across as second tier to me when they do it at Maple Leaf Gardens. Maybe because they can say, hey, we're in Maple Leaf Gardens. And yeah, uh, you get exactly. some cachet that way. So sure. and and the, the curling community in southern Ontario, since curling Canada is so loath to go to southern Ontario, uh, this is the one event they get a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a really dedicated fan base for that event uh, in April every year at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. So that's not actually called Maple Leaf Gardens. But, you know, we'll call it Maple Leaf Gardens. I don't even know what they call it. It's called the Madame Center. Oh, okay, great. Uh, so Madame at Maple Leaf Gardens is where they do that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that. I, walked, I walked around that, Sean, last weekend, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah. I was in that area. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, a lot going on there, you know. Beautiful building. There's a, yeah, there's a grocery store right there. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, Let's uh, move on to uh, Rick McManus's question. Scott, Rick wondered about whether or not we should turn free agency and curling into a TSN-style trade deadline show. Uh, So should we do uh, trades, uh, have a show for curling in the offseason? Don't let the teams do these announcements on their own. Just compile it all into one big hour-long or two-hour-long show. Sean, you know what? I think this is a great idea. I think Curling Zone should be the ones that host this, and we make it like a broadcast on YouTube or direct on Curling Zone's uh, webpage. And yeah, we get some people that are really dialed in, you know, some insiders. Uh, mm-hmm. We get all the curling podcasts together. The podcasters will come on and debate about who would be a good fit with whom, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it would be the free agent frenzy show. Uh, yeah. And I think we could make it happen, you know, like the week after Worlds or something uh, in April would be an ideal time. Yeah, I agree. That That's the time to do it. And the thing is, about the announcements, some of the discussion was that, well, the players need to do it on their own schedule so that they can inform sponsors and, and massage those relationships as best they can. But if we have it as like a TV show on TSN... We let the players still maybe come on, but they're wearing their sponsor stuff. So it's like probably better yeah. for the sponsors in that respect. So, uh, you know, if we can I make so. the, the business side of it work on the player side, like this could be a total thing. Uh, yeah. The other thing I was thinking, though, Scott, because uh, when Rick was talking about, you know, like the free agency show, what about if like, could we do trades in curling? Could we just have like straight up trades? Do you like... Do you think that would ever happen? Like, all right, so Brendan Botcher in the fall was like, all right, it's probably not going to work out with Darren. Um, but, you know, you know, maybe Mark could be, you know, I want to play with Mark. And, you know, Jacob's their team. They're going to break up. So maybe we could propose something. They're all going to be free agents anyway. And so, like, after after the, the trials, they put out a release that uh, Team Botcher is sending Darren Molding plus future considerations to Team Jacob's. <laughs> For Mark Kennedy and a bag of broomheads, <laughs> a, a, a bag of broomheads to be named later. Yeah, uh, I think. I, yeah, I wonder if you could do it. Uh, it's not crazy. I, I don't think it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. No, it's it's not smart, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I I would like to see somebody try somebody try it yeah. and and yeah let's say one team is giving away what you would say a better player 
and you say you have to give me a certain percentage of your winnings as the new team. There you go. You know, oh, like oh, that. Brad Gushu, his back is out for the year. I'll trade you Mark Nichols from Gushu's team for the season with the promise yeah. to return. So it'd be a little more like soccer with the loaning. Right. A loan system. Uh, yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. 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 Especially like coming up with, with so many member associations where it could be difficult to get out of. Like if you don't get a Briar Scotty spot, yeah, why not loan a great player? Like, <laughs> yeah. Make some money that way. Go for it. Yeah. The team dynamic driving to the event might be tough when you're like, hey, second, who has been with us all season, uh, we have a better second coming in for this most important event uh, of maybe your life. Uh, I hope you're okay with it. Uh, hey, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. And then you got Bob Weeks uh, tweeting it all out, <laughs> doing Weeks bombs. You know, it'd be great. Exactly. I, I can imagine a certain day where, yeah, teams are managed a little more like a professional sports team now yeah. is where they they have a GM that is the one that makes these decisions and not yeah. the players themselves. Yeah. Well, that's Warren Hanson's dream. I think, I think, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Scott, let's uh, move on. This is our last or last question that we got in. And then we have one other question. Uh, so this is from Dave. He wants to talk about pace of play concerns and mm-hmm. uh, whether or not the, pace of play at the elite level has an impact on the pace of play at the rec level and whether or not things like the proposed time per end at the uh, elite level is a response in part to pace of play concerns at the rec level. Well, for me, if pace of play at the uh, elite level is making it down to the club level, it's definitely not happening at the lead, second, or third positions. Uh, the only <laughs> the only place it's being affected is the skips taking a long time. Yeah. So what I'd like to see is, yeah, the lead, second, and third be as fast as the players at the elite level because they have to be to give the skips the time to ne- needed to discuss complicated shots, right? When it's an easy call, easy shot, they're in the hack, ready to go. I think that if time per end uh, is adopted, it might help at the club level, but really it'll just make the the elite product worse, I think. Yeah, I I think I agree uh, with that assessment. I I really think that anyone who goes to a curling event uh, should pay attention to what the, as you say, the lead second and thirds are doing through the end. Because so much attention is is put on like Kevin Cooey. Kevin Cooey is a slow player. Like there's there's no way to argue that he's not a slow mm-hmm. player. Jennifer Jones is a slow player when she goes to throw, but their teams recognize that and are really fast. Like if you look at Jones's team, Cooey's team, and really a lot of the teams, the first four rocks that they're throwing in an end are taking on thinking time in a lot of cases, under 20 seconds. They're yeah. just so good that they are ready. They're, the rock is cleaned. They're in the hack. They are ready to throw before the other team's rock comes to rest. They're so good at it. And that should be required for all players to go yeah. and just to pay attention to what they're doing so that when you get to the latter part of an end, the discussions can be had and they're not slowing up the game. Like, Because if you think about it, if, a lead or a second takes 
10 extra seconds per shot than they need to over the course of a game, right? Mm -hmm. So you're throwing potentially 16 rocks. So that's 160 seconds. So that's, that's round down to two and a half minutes. If every player takes two and a half minutes extra than they need to over the course of a game, that's one fewer end, potentially two fewer ends, depending on what your rules are at your facility, that you're not playing. So you might say, well, it's only 10 seconds, but if everyone does it, it adds up. So the more you can chop off, the better it's going to be for everybody. So those are the things that are lost in the broadcast that you don't notice. You don't see the players getting in the hack, cleaning the rock before the other team is done. Although sometimes you can actually see it when the camera lingers on the thrower, you know, yeah. but the they let it go and they're sliding. You can see the other team is in place. Like the other players yeah. are behind them. The thrower is in the hack already. Like th they're so good at it. So I want people to have access to live events of elite players to see that side of it. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's you're right. It's going to save time at the club level and get you all the game that you're actually paying for. The other thing that these players are really good at is they pretty much know what their skip is going to call, especially yeah. the leads, right? That, okay, I know that they're putting a guard, we're going to go here. And so they've already got that in their mind and they're set up and ready to go. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's something that we could definitely use at the club level. Yeah, no question. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we always like to talk about pace of play. So thanks to Dave for that. Yeah. And uh, the final question, Scott, this is going to come from a Sean in Ottawa. He wants to know what your thoughts are on this mixed double super series that was announced recently uh, that the CBC is going to broadcast five mixed doubles curling events coming up this season. They will take place over five weekends with nine draws per event. First in Ottawa from September the 29th to October the 2nd. I believe I will be out of town that weekend, so uh, I will not be able to play because I know they were, I'm sure, looking at uh, at me uh, to participate in that event. Uh, Saskatoon, November 3rd to the 6th. Leduc, Alberta, November 17th to the 20th. Winnipeg, December 1st to the 4th. And then the Super Series Championship will be December 16th to the 18th in beautiful Brantford, Ontario. So, Scott... What is your initial reaction to this mixed doubles super series? I, I love it, Sean. It's uh, it's what mixed doubles needs is a little more of a consolidated uh, showcase. So putting uh, together an event at, at this high level that should attract teams from all across the country, uh, I think is going to be really good. And having it... Uh, partnered with the CBC that's a long-standing uh, curling broadcaster it definitely can't hurt either I'm liking it uh, it's 32 teams in pool play I think for the first events and then a triple knockout for that uh, championship event in December exciting I am in town that weekend in there Ottawa you go. so I'll try to go do do we know where they are? Other than they haven't the no, they haven't announced uh, venues yet. Uh, just the cities. So venues, okay. draw times to come. Uh, you know, I th I think what's curious about this is, yes, it's a consolidation, but it's obviously a consolidation at the top level of mixed doubles. And uh, you know, I, I I wonder too, like, has the Grand Slam kind of just maybe dropped the ball on this? Is this not something the Grand Slam 
series yeah, they should definitely be doing. have and uh you know it's 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 to the point now where we have enough i think we have enough players who are only going to do one of the disciplines that they could just have at an existing grand slam a mixed doubles component to it and uh you know players pick where they're going and that's what you're going to do so i think that's what it could be done like this also this now makes it so that and i don't want to complain or sound like I'm complaining, but I'm going to. This ensures that there is going to be curling every weekend from like September, whenever the the bets point spiel is. So like mid to late September through yeah. till the end of the year until Christmas, like the, every weekend. Hey, Sean, we got content for the show. <laughs> Means I got to watch it all. It's a lot uh, to watch. True. It know? is a lot to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think, yeah, this is probably a way to avoid conflicts between, you know, some teams that want to play in the big slam events that also want to play mixed doubles. Yeah, uh, maybe a way to avoid some of that. But you know what? Uh, I like your idea. Throw the gauntlet down. Just put it side by side and say, pick one. Show us what's more important to you. Yeah, pick a lane. I, I mean, the thing is, too, like if you're a top level player who wants to do both, and you, you have a, a mixed doubles partner that you want to pursue the possibility of going to the Olympics and you have your four person team, they're going to actually have to pick now when they're not playing on TV events, right? Before yeah. it was, you're just picking club, which club events, like high level cash events do you want to play in? This schedule now makes it so that they're going to have to say no to either some of these super spiel events potentially a slam or the points bet spiel like there's almost too much for those elite players and i that is good in a sense and maybe it turns into like the pga tour or, or tennis where there are just some events that the top players are like no i'm good I'm like yeah i'm fine you know and and that's what this could turn into while at the same time the mixed doubles events that are taking place in clubs right now are certainly going to suffer maybe it provides a little more space for a grassroots mixed doubles to come and fill the fill those hopefully. gaps hopefully if the money's still there like I, I think one of the questions that i'm going to have as we move forward in this is the sponsorship and do the groups and organizations like say stew cells that sponsors the in-club cash fields do they start to move their money now to bigger events maybe like this i don't think Stu sells ever would but you know who no. knows i've never met Stu, but Stu seems very committed to the oakville curling club but some other events that uh like the autumn gold spiel like do some of those sponsors maybe start to shift over like uh, that's where the danger comes in potentially of too many events overlapping that uh, all the money goes to the tv events and then there's really nothing left for the middle class type player yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. But uh, I, I think getting more curling on TV in front of eyeballs will grow the pot for everybody. All right, so there you have it. Those are the questions that we received. Scott, do you have any questions that you want answered? Well, Sean, I got a question um, from our mother, and it's, uh, <laughs> how often do you call your parents? Yeah. What's your answer? More often than they call me. Hey, that's my, uh, that's agreed. My, that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> an appropriate amount. <laughs> yeah. The, the right amount, I think. Yeah. So I don't know if that was <laughs> super, like, you know, it was what it was, mom. You know, we, yeah. we call you, when you there's things to numbers. We, we call when there's things to communicate. The fact that nothing's happened for two years isn't really our, our fault. <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly. So uh, so thank you to everybody who wrote in, uh, sent in those questions. This was a lot of fun. Maybe we'll make this an annual thing, a uh, summer mailbag. And who knows if, if people want to do it more frequently, uh, we can do mailbags periodically through the season as well. So to follow along with all that, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever you get the podcast, do likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps other people find the show, keeps us growing. Of course, you can always head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com, all of our past episodes there under the Episodes tab, and click on the Merch tab for all of the merch available, t-shirts, hoodie, took uh, proceeds to Food Banks Canada and the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. We, of course, match those. So check those out as uh, we get deeper into the summer here. And the cold weather is a coming, even if we don't want to believe it. And of course, you can always let us know what you want to hear on the show. Game of Stones Pod at gmail.com, Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. And it's Game of Stones Podcast at Facebook uh, or by email. It's Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So that'll be it for this week. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Scott, dog days of summer, August. Uh, I don't know. Do you ever get tired of the summer? Yeah, I sometimes get tired of the summer, Sean. But uh, I'm going out of town to the West Coast where summers are quite temperate. Uh, I Not used to this live year. Up there and I quite I miss it. But or last Listen, year. Uh, there, there's a heat. There was a heat warning in place about a week ago, and uh, you know I, I, it's calmed down now. You get those nice uh, little breezes, sweater weather in the uh, in the evening. Yeah. Uh, just love it. All right. Well, uh, have a good time. Safe travels. We'll talk to you again soon, and we'll talk to all of you out there next week. So until we chat, then keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.